Mental health can be a difficult topic to talk about. I'd like to change that. I'm Marcus Pipworth and welcome to the Ministry of Change podcast. Hello. Um, If you've listened to a few of these podcasts, you might remember that a few months ago I went to the Isle of Wight to record some conversations with people. And while I was there, one of the people I met was Mark Langford. And he shared with me a really powerful story. We met up on the beach and sat in the front of my van and recorded his story. And then afterwards, when I was listening to it, the sound quality was terrible. And I knew that I couldn't use it. So I contacted Mark and told him the situation and he was fine about it. He said, yeah, let's do it again. So uh, a few weeks ago, we um, arranged to have this call online and I recorded his story again. So it's not as personal as sitting in the front of the van together. But um, I just knew it was such a powerful story that I really wanted to put it out there. And I really wanted to capture it again. And so that's what we've done. So, um, yeah, this is this is this is it um you'll remember maybe if you've listened to episode 20 i recorded with kim brown from nature nature therapy cic um mark talks about that and his connection with that a bit towards the end of the podcast so that's a nice uh, tie-in with an earlier podcast um but yeah really this is is powerful i mean it, it's quite stark there's some quite difficult bits that mark talks about he's very um opens himself up a lot and is very vulnerable i will warn you there are uh, some pretty graphic details around uh suicide ideation and drug taking um but that's part of the story and it's important to listen to these difficult bits as well but do be aware of that before you start it if that is a trigger for you um but i'm happy that mark agreed to do it again and i am not going to say much more i'm just going to hand over and let mark tell his story now so here's mark all right well i will start i will i'll start right at the beginning you know i was really a relatively what i would call normal upbringing you know uh, mum and dad um they were they were all right actually um but I, even from a really, really early, early age, I, you know, just thinking about it now, I, I was definitely felt different, you know, and I, and I used some really unhealthy behaviours to probably get what I wanted at the time, but didn't, you know, it didn't, you know, looking back on it from an adult, you know, but everything was really relatively normal, you know, I had not, had a, not a mum and dad, had a, had a they were married, so um, and then they went through a divorce, and I ended up having a step stepdad, and um, and my mum, and they, it was all all just normal, all normal. Um, but there was something not no, it's really hard to explain. But something just, you know, I never felt that I was fitting in. I was never, I never knew. Yeah, I never. Fit, fit in I was very secretive I was just wanted to be left alone you know I was like I could really kind of get wound get upset about small things you know it was um it was it was quite it was quite bizarre and so you know uh, I ended up going to South Africa and while I was out out there um I kind of life just started to 
it was all adventure. I only a nipper, you know, I was a young, young lad. So life is an adventure going out to see, see animals and stuff like that with my real dad and my stepmom and stuff like that. It was great. And then I come back to England. So I was going backwards and forwards, sort of, you know, spending bits of time. And, um, and it was normal. It was just normal. It was just what you would do is if, if you went, if people, someone went through a, if you went through that, you spend a bit of time with those parents, you spend a bit of time with them parents. It was, there was nothing different than anybody else. But what was different, I was different. It was, I, I, I was pulled all over the place in my head. I was, um, I couldn't quite, at the time, I'm trying to think how I felt at the time. I just didn't know anything. I didn't know. All I knew that I was not, there was something wrong. There was something wrong. It, and there was something wrong with me. You know, there was this big, I don't know what is actually going on and I can't understand it. And, and, but I'll get to when I did start understanding it down the line of it. Um, and, and it was just there. It was always there. This kind of feeling of not knowing it was, it wasn't, there was no hope. There was, you know, I may have not even knew, know what hope was back then. But there was just, just this not knowing. Of, and it was really, it's really bizarre, and it used to eat the eat, really eat me away. And um, so, for, as I turned into a teenager, as teenagers do, I started, you know, smoking a bit of dope and um, drinking a bit of alcohol. And I happened to start drinking alcohol when I, I went to South Africa to live for a year. So I started drinking alcohol out there, and it was relatively sort of, yeah, you can drink away as much as you want dad didn't mind just don't drink by yourself he said and so that's cool so finish school drink finish school drink it came kind of a habit and actually I felt it made me feel all right you know I was like oh this is all oh, it's this how I should feel you know it was more of a like oh this is how I must have to feel like just to be able to talk and be able to gel with all these mates and all these people and I didn't feel the odd one out and it was it was great fun come back to the island it didn't work out out in South Africa so I come back to the Isle of Wight and and so pretty much soon of being here you know crikey things started to escalate I was really really kind of I really didn't like myself I just dropped my, my I'd literally kind of I told my dad in, in South Africa that I'm actually going on holiday in England. He said, like, go to holiday, see my parents here. I was like, great. And so he thought I was going on holiday. I actually never went back and I've never seen him since. But um, I just felt like, felt like crap and straight away and, um, and went straight back to that not liking myself, not feeling like I fitted in, just feeling totally different than anyone really around me um including my parents with my sister with my brother um I didn't jail with anyone I was really went inwards and and there was lots of times when I felt like actually do you know what I mean maybe I just need to end it and not be here you know it was it was I haven't really said that to anyone so I don't think before um at, at that age I was kind of and being an adult now I found out actually it's quite common to feel have suicidal thoughts, but maybe not to the extent as I was. I then started using alcohol at home and 
and drugs. Um, so it start, I started using amphetamines and I started using weed, and cannabis, whatever you want to call it. And it became a blooming good friend of mine for ages. And, but what led with that was relationship breakdowns with my parents and my step-parents and my brothers, my sisters, and I was kicked out of home. So, which was nice. <laughs> I should rephrase that. I wasn't kicked out of home like, get out, we don't want nothing to do with you. I was, they found me a, a bed set, a really nice bed set actually, um, and I, I lived there. It didn't, it didn't, straight away it started becoming, um, I started getting chaotic with the drug use, the alcohol, and, and all of a sudden I found myself in a position that actually, it was all very well, this, but I had to somehow fund that sort of lifestyle. And so what comes with that? There was all this, nor me feeling normal was great, you know, drinking, drugging, whatever, you know, I was feeling normal. I was fitting in with all these groups of people. So I felt not out of place. I felt actually I am just the same as anyone else. So looking back on it now, of course I wasn't because I was having to feed my addiction to alcohol and drugs by committing crimes and stuff you know and that escalated and it kept going and it kept going and it kept going um and i ended up in some really really dark places um i suppose the good feeling lasts for probably about 18 months Marcus. you know it was um Looking back on it now, it was probably, it was 18 months, maybe a bit longer. It was all like fun and games, you know, and tripping and speeding and going out to all the raves and stuff like that. It was, yeah, that was fun, some of it. Uh, but there was this, didn't matter what was, it was fun maybe for a few hours. And then in my head, it was all over the place. And what I started finding I would do, would do is after a rave, everyone would go to a, wherever. I wouldn't, I'd go for a walk by myself and I, and I'd have some really dark thoughts and ended up in dark places. And, and you know, um, really, like, and I couldn't understand what was going on. And so this just this kept, kept leading to this one-man crime wave, trying to feed this addiction, trying to keep well, trying to get back to that feeling of feeling well. And it just went on. It spiralled and spiralled. I ended up in... in, in all the well, not all the prisons on the island. Um, I ended up in Campion on Parker, so I've been to numerous other prisons on uh, in um, England, but um, for burglary and theft, and you know, I wasn't a violent person. I wasn't, a, you know, I didn't hurt anyone. Okay, all right, <laughs> I did because I burgled places, you know. So I did, I did hurt people actually, uh, and and that just went on and on and on, and it was just consuming. And every time I'd end up in prison, I'd end up on the hospital beds because I'd end up trying to take my life. I'd end up, you know, I'd end up hurting myself. I'd end up really getting really ill. And that happened. That, that went on. That was it's good, 10 years. It's nine, 10 years of my life in and out, in and out of prison, battling with this, this mental health, this addiction. And they come part, they were, Pass and parcel. They were mental health was there, and then addiction come come along. It was like the <laughs> probably to start off with was the, the savior of the mental health, but then they just entwined into this 
ivy, ivy that went right the way through me, and it was um, it was it was quite it was torture. It was um, it wasn't a very I wasn't. If you were to ask anyone, Marcus, you would go down the street and ask what I was like when I was in that chaos, in that madness of addiction and mental health. A lot of people say he was all right. He was just caught up in that. He I wasn't rude. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't horrible. I was, you know, I, I believed in it, in justice. With if I, someone was horrible, I'd think I was the person that could sort it all out. You know, I would. Um, I didn't didn't like all the horribleness, but I, actually, I was seething with this hatred towards me for whatever reason it was and you know that kept it kept going and I ended up spending it ended up that I started spending less time in in prison and and the only reason that was was because I found heroin and for some reason finding heroin was how can I say it you didn't want to go to end up in prison. I feel I did end up in prison and they'd medicate you and then the mental health would come back and you get out and you start using again. And, and, um, and I, cut, I started using heroin and it kept, now can I explain how that went? That was, it was no kind of, it was no kind of, um, when I started it in Winchester, there was no kind of, like you hear in films, is, oh, it was like having sex. It was like an orgasm. It, was, it wasn't. It was, it was, I was dicing with death. I went home. Um, I watched how people done it on, and I went home and I'd done it in a room in Winchester by myself. Could have eat OD'd, no one would have ever known it. And I kept topping up the amount I was doing until I was literally flaked out. Um, and I was doing that. It was like I was testing the bound. Looking back at it now, I think it was a form of self-harm, simple as that. Same as prison. I believe that was a form of self-harm. I believe that that is what I need. I believe that's what I had to do to myself. I, you know, wreck myself to end up in them places. It was, you know, some people self-harm by, by cutting, um, so by punching or whatever. I was self-harming really internally because what come with prison the heroin the drugs because it was all self it was just just didn't like myself you know and it was like i don't deserve to be on this planet um so heroin took hold of it was it was it was a big chunk of my life i i had i had a daughter just before um i actually started taking it and that just bless her i still haven't reconnected with her and hopefully one day i will um I just got out of there. I knew I would not be, it's not that I would have caused any harm. I just knew I wasn't, I didn't feel I was capable. I didn't feel that I was worth being a dad, any, any of that. And, and, and it was just so, and actually it may have stopped me from using the, the drugs. I don't know. That's probably part of it as well. But, um, and, and I was just literally spiraling out of control. And then I ended up, I remember, I can't remember what year it was, but it's got to be, it's got to be about eight years ago, I think. Um, I thought, right, actually, I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to go into, um, I was drinking heavily as well. I was, I'm going to go into the local hospital. Well, I said I wanted to detox. And they said, yeah, we'll give you a detox. But because I'm, oh, 
but because of my mental health, they put me in the, um, they put me in the local psychiatric hospital because uh, they've got the, the drug service down, drug and alcohol service got a bed in there where you can do a detox. So I sat in there and done the detox from alcohol. Um, as soon as I, I was still, I was taking um, methadone as a, as a like a, a substitute for. So, but as soon as I come off the alcohol, I went straight back to this. I mean, it was actually even worse. I went straight back to this, wanting to harm myself, and I started trying to harm myself, uh, and just ended up staying in there and spiraling again. Um, <clears throat> so I come out of the hospital and I started. I started um, using and, and that carried on for a couple of years. In in 2000 and, 2013, at the beginning of 2013, I was, it was winter, yeah, so it was after Christmas. And um, I was, oh, I was in, it just all got too much and I come to this place in my head that was I still don't really thought about it that much all I know it was the darkest darkest that's the only word I can use there was didn't matter where my thought pattern went didn't matter if I thought about drugs didn't matter if I thought about alcohol didn't matter if I thought about being sober didn't matter if I thought about family it was just it was just it wasn't happening there was no no answer at all Marcus it was just Actually, you're the only answer you've got here is um, is death. So I can remember. I can remember feel. I can remember the feeling to this day. I thought, right, that's it, and I made my mind up, I, and it was going to happen. It was going to happen that night. So <clears throat> I kind of was just wandering the streets, even though my friend said I can stay at stay at. Um, on his sofa, I was like, it got to that stage, I've been safe, even though I had my own caravan, I was like, got to that stage that I was, I couldn't ask people to stay on their sofa anymore. I didn't feel, you know, it was just, and they, they said, they've always said, and they still say say now, you could have, you could have stayed there, Mark, you could have, and I, no, but I would, I just didn't feel that I could, didn't feel comfortable about that. And I remember wandering the streets and I got to ride pier, we've got a big pier here on the Isle of Wight, and, and I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up to the end of there. I'm going to jump off. Pitch black, freezing cold that night. It was really, really cold. I remember walking out the pier, and I can remember the thought straight away. I looked over. The tide was out. And I thought, if I jump in there, I can, I'm a strong swimmer, and I just knew that survival instinct would kick in and swim in. So I thought, well, that isn't going to work. Um, so I thought, oh, okay. Knew I had a couple of cans of beer at my static home and a load of different tablets. I don't know quite what they were. Um, I thought, I'm going to go up there and I, it was really cold. I'm going to put a duvet over me and I'm going to put fire, electric fire, under the bed. Um, so that's what I've done. Um, unbeknown to me, which um, I'm getting round to actually write the, find out what doctor it was because I can't remember and write him a letter to thank him. My doctor had phoned me up at about half past nine in the morning. I can't remember this conversation to say that my Prozac already. Uh, and, and 
apparently I said, I don't need them because I'm not going to be here anymore. And when I, that's, you know, when I come round, I was in the hospital and they said, right, you know, you know, we need to keep, we need to keep an eye on you in this hospital. And I'm like, okay. Um, and I hadn't eaten for ages and I didn't want food and I'd lost lots of weight and I was, and so I was in hospital for a while. And I couldn't, I couldn't face the outside world. I was sick and sick, really, I was ill. Um, I felt going to the shop was just an impossibility. Um, they started medicating it like they do, but every day, every day while you're there, they you do some therapeutic work, and I was they get you out. They don't just let you sit in your room all day, which I think is brilliant idea. Get out. They've done a bit of mindfulness and stuff like that, so I was introduced to mindfulness. Didn't really take it on at that time. Um, stayed in there for I think about six weeks, all in all, maybe even seven. Um, I was ready to leave. I was my medicate. They got me medicated, and I was on this like. Oh, I felt I felt all right. Um, I thought I was cured. To be honest, I was like, yeah, "This is great." Maybe I was cured at that moment in time for mental health, but I hadn't focused on anything to do with addiction. So I left the hospital, and to walk back into a, on the outskirts of Newport on the Isle of Wight to walk back into Newport. Um, to see my mates and people I knew, first thing you pass is a shop. I went into there, um, bought some strong lagers. I think I bought eight strong lagers. I drunk six by the time I got down to this little hill, which if I could show you a map of Honey Hill, maybe on the Isle of Wight, it's it's not a, it's not a massive hill. Uh, instantly, my head went back to, anyone can explain it, it just went, like that, it went back to don't want to be here anymore. That's it. There's no way out. There's no there's no clear thinking. Straight into suicide mode. Don't know why. Don't know. Can't. Don't know why to this day. So I went to my mate's house, and they were all talking about getting heroin and stuff like this. I hadn't taken it for a while, and I was like, oh, all right, okay. Um, I said, well, I'll save some money up. I'll get that, and bought a a, a bag, and quite a bit. In my head, I knew what I was going to do. I was going to go to the bathroom. I was going to take a shot of it. OD. And not tell anyone, and I didn't tell anyone. So I went into the bathroom, done what I had to do. Had my shot of heroin. I woke up five hours later. Um, big burn in my trouser. Not Funny enough, not my leg, but on the trout of my new, new tracksuit. I was more pissed off about that. And actually not dying than... And I was like, I can just remember coming around thinking, what the, what the fuck, basically? Why? Um, straight away, something clicked in me. I thought, right, I've got to get out of here. And so I left there and I went over back into Ride where I originally lived. And what happened there was something started happening. And I, I can't really explain it. And one day I will be able to and maybe write that down exactly what was going on. But something was happening and and I was taking copious amounts of Valium to get to sleep and they weren't working. They just weren't working, which, which is really bizarre because I'm, I'm kind of, what's the word? I'm, I don't know if lightweight's the right word, but normally I could take five mil of Valium and I'll be out, you know. But for some reason it wasn't working and it was real Valium, you know. It wasn't, it was, but, and, and I was like, oh, what's going on here? Um, 
I couldn't sleep and I was like my head was going and looking back on it now my head was going and it was something to change something was coming back alive whether it was the medications all kicking in helping serotonin kick around my head who knows but something was happening and it was I was still still kind of alive but there was this alcohol like really kind of on me I'd already given up the methadone I'd already given up the heroin I wasn't on any of that it was just this alcohol this just holding on to me um so I just I remember well it's the first of May in um, 2013 and something on that morning I hadn't really stopped drinking but I hadn't really been drinking all night went over and bought my first four pack of strong lagers in the morning as soon as the shop opened sat on the seafront and I was with a friend of mine and her son came walking over and said to me you know if you well, if you drink Mark, if you carry on drinking you're never going to stop and you're going to end up dying and something clicked in me at that moment of time Mark something clicked in me and this will be something in the future that I will elaborate more I think once I know myself but something in that moment of time whatever happened just clicked in me and I said yes I could and I can stop this and I put the drink down and I was going to tip, oh, well actually I was going to tip away but my friend, she went, no, 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 I have them. I went, yeah, you can have them. The mental health service on the Isle of Wight said, Mark, um, we can offer you some support in a place called Butt the Garden. It's a dry house on the Isle of Wight where no out, you know, you can't use drink or, or drugs. And I thought, well, give them a call. So I gave my, the mental health worker a call and he took me over there. And I was told, actually, Mark, you need to get your clothes washed, no drinking anymore and everything like this. And it was only temporary sort of place. And I was there and I kept what I'd done straight away was I was introduced to a lot of therapeutic stuff, you know, to work on myself. So it was things like relapse prevention. I was doing mindfulness. I was finding out about my triggers. You know, I was doing a wellness recovery action plan. I was really doing it. it, it could, there's lots of different things and I can't remember them all now. There was, there was, you know, there was awareness, there was mental health awareness groups. There was lots of some addiction groups, you know, there was a, a whole lot, but I suppose the point I'm saying about that is I started doing work on myself. And when I started facing a lot of that crap and started doing it in a manageable way, then I started building, building a life and I could, Oh, there's a trigger. All oh, right, actually, I'm not going to go and use a strong lager or heroin to stop it. I'm going to explore this in a mindful way. And so, as I done that, I connected with the mental health services and started doing emotional coping skills courses, um, anxiety um, workshops, and things like that. Of really, really getting getting to work on myself, really focusing on. Actually, I'm worth more than I can do something. I'm, I can do something. You know, it's, I started believing in myself. That was the thing. I started believing, you know, the more I hung around these positive people, the, the people that wanted to change and stuff, I, I started to believe in myself. And I was introduced to um, another drug and alcohol team called Cranston that were here on the island. And I started doing all their little, uh, little courses and their little workshops. And really got hold of my what was going on with my addiction. At the same time, I was doing work on the mental health. So I had like work going on here with addiction. I had work going on here with mental health, and it was. And then 
I needed things to connect with, like hobbies. So I, I connected with the gym and I connected with going out and walking around in nature and stuff like that. And as I'd done that, I connected with a, a CIC, a community interest company called Nature Therapy CIC, and started doing some stuff there and really started exploring. Actually, you know, I can live a life with mental health. You know, I can live a life with thoughts pop into my head. That's what they are. They're thoughts. They're words, pictures. To me, that's what they are. And and it's up to me and me only how much time and attention I want to spend on them thoughts. And as luck would have it, I was introduced to something called acceptance commitment therapy. And that just totally changed my life. It was, you know, I use it to this day, you know, as if thoughts pop into my head, I can manage them. I can acknowledge they're there. I can thank my brain they're there. You know, I can really you know really really yeah i can you know i can they're just thoughts and so i started building strong recovery and it was massive i could feel every day it was like i wanted to get up i wanted to do stuff you know um life challenges not seeing my parents not connecting with my daughter um other people you know just in everyday life that piss you off basically was actually oh that happens and you don't have to have a drink or you don't have to go like feel suicidal you know because that person is sort of you feel a bit let down or whatever you know it was just I can actually live a lot I can I can live a life just like that person there over there and that person there and I kept working on myself and I kept working on myself and I kept pushing myself I pushed myself every day I'd push myself so I ended up volunteering for nature therapy CIC um um the local youth offending team, uh, a family therapy charity called Seize for Change. And then we, start, we started our own group up called Clean Breaks. And that was for people who were, oh, originally it was, it was for people to socialise without substances. And what we found was, what was great, is people with mental health come along as well. And it was out of, so it was weekends and evenings, so we'd all do something, you know, together, bowling, a meal, whatever it may be. Um, and it was just every day doing something, every day working on recovery, every day waking up and actually coming up with new ideas. No ideas, stupid, you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, we try another idea. And so life kept progressing. Um, and it was in, so in, oh, what about, about two years ago now been volunteering a lot and I've been out sharing my story with a lot of people on the Isle of Wight and further afield. Um, I wrote, I've wrote some articles for American magazines and about recovery and stuff like that and and about a year, no yeah it was about two years ago I thought I think I'm ready for a bit of employment. I weren't too sure but I thought I'd give it a go and I wanted to work in the care field supporting people in some way Another and a good friend of mine who I've made a connect, connection with uh, one of the volunteer groups has said come and do a bit of company driving and I was like oh I should just it was new to me being actually I don't I'm, I'm a quite a new driver I never I never tried to drive when I was intoxicated or anything it weren't for me so I'm a new driver and I was like oh okay and it was taking staff to and from work you know and I thought I'll give that a go and it's just a few hours and it was nice because it. Um, yeah, I learned that I can have that responsibility, and it was you know. So I'd done that for a little while, um, and then 
a job come up with the Richmond Fellowship who I work with now and um, as a recovery worker working with people with an out of hours mental health service and for them to drop in if they're experiencing any kind of emotional distress or you know or they're approaching a crisis I thought that's a great idea I'll have some of that um, applied for the job got the job it's full time and you know it was it was kind of wow in between I've just missed a massive great chunk out of it out of I don't know how I missed that in, just before I got the driving job, I reconnected with my now wife, who has got her own amazing story. But and maybe she'll say that one day when she's ready. Um, and I've known her for a while, and so. But I'll, I'm not. It wouldn't be unfair for me to go to say anything about her story because she'd say that one day in her own way. Um, and I saw. I just remember I'd gone through a a breakup and I hadn't used or hadn't relapsed with mental health and it was and I signed up to actually I'm gonna be celibate. I don't want I don't want relationships they're 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 crap, you know. And I and I went out exploring the Isle of Wight. I was climbing, I was doing all sorts of stuff. I was running across the Isle of Wight for charity. I was really doing lots of different I was doing what I could, you know, just thought, yeah, that's what what I'm gonna do, all this stuff. And um and I walked onto a beach one day and I literally bumped into Leah and it was like, ah, and things just started happening really, you know. Um, we're now married, which is absolutely fantastic, you know. Um, we've got two, she's got two, we've got two kids, you know. I've got my daughter, we have a daughter I haven't connected with yet, and, but that's all right, I will. Sometimes that's what I, what I like about putting in the work I put in. And that's what I'd say to anyone is like really put the work in and step, push yourself out a little bit extra. Sometimes, yeah, you might need to then take, take a little step back because it was a bit, oh, but actually that's all right. Because, you know, that's where when those thoughts pop into your head, like uh, could be me missing my daughter. That in the old me, that would have been, that could have been a catalyst of a whole lot of stuff and ended up relapsing in whatever way whether it was hurt myself drink drugs whatever it, it could but being actually you know that's life kind of thing and being able to think okay right okay i'm allowed to, i'm allowed to have that feeling missing that person you know what i mean i'm allowed to have that feeling of not and then you know all them feelings are normal you know i'm allowed to feel I don't fit into that crowd there. I'm allowed to not like that person across there. You know, they are kind of, that's just normal. Um, and that's what I've learned a lot over the past five years. And I think we're about four months now. I've been in recovery, what I will say recovery, five years, four months. Um, so it's been, and I'm still learning every day. I've just got married and I've now became the team manager um, of where I work, um, which is, amazing I'm I still sometimes think wow you know what the but it's, it's we're learning every day we're growing every day we're being mindful of the people around us and mindful of ourselves you know I think it's it's good to have a daily check-in um I do um I've just had a month off the gym because of a of an operation and and so I had to find another way of checking in and that would be a lot of the time just literally mindfulness while I'm driving, while I'm walking back down at work, you know, whatever, because it, it's important, you know, to 
check in and make sure we're all right, you know. So, what I would say, uh, what I would say, I'd say lots of things, but when it comes to mental health, addiction, or both, it's about putting some work on, really, sometimes stepping outside your comfort, not sometimes, most of the time, stepping outside your comfort zone, because that's where magic's going to happen. Thanks so much to Mark for sharing that story. Um, I think it's um, such a brave thing to do to share your story in such an open and honest way and allow yourself to be so vulnerable. And I just really respect Mark for doing this and for sharing his story so openly and to show the really difficult parts and the really difficult experiences he's been through. Um, I know that talking about these things for me has been really transformational. I know through speaking to Mark that he feels the same. Speaking about these, the darker bits and the most difficult bits, as well as the beautiful bits that come out of life are really important things to do, but it can be challenging, really, really challenging. And so I, yeah, I know in that there were some really, really difficult things to listen to, but um, I hope that you got some something out of that and could see that powerful journey. And um, and again, I really, really thank Mark for doing that. I'm going to put some links down below to some of those things that Mark talks about the, on the Isle of Wight, some of the, the groups that helped him and some of the uh, groups that he's part of now. And uh, yeah, and do look them up. Uh, if you want to find out more about what I'm doing with the Ministry of Change, then you can look at my website, which is www.theministryofchange.org. And uh, I'm trying to fund this not very well, but using a platform called Patreon. And you can check out my Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com forward slash Ministry of Change. And on there, you have access to extra content, uh, extra audio extra blogs i'm thinking about putting the unedited version of this um podcast which has a little bit of a q a at the end on there as well and uh by pledging a small amount of money you can help me to continue to make these spaces for people to share their stories and talk about mental health and if you can't do that if you can't pledge anything then just simply going on itunes and rating and reviewing this podcast would mean a lot to me it'd help me reach more people so anyway, thank you very much for listening and um, I will be back soon with some more exciting podcasts, which I am editing at the moment. So thank you very much for your support. Goodbye. Goodbye.